Welcome to Heart Matters, a show about all aspects of heart health, brought to you in partnership with the Providence Heart Institute and Boston Scientific. The Providence Heart Institute is a leading integrated network of cardiovascular care with a focus on putting our patients at the heart of everything we do. And we are committed to making a positive difference in every life we touch. As part of that commitment, we are bringing the doctors to you. I'm your host today, Dr. John Wagoner, interventional cardiologist practicing in Olympia, Washington. Joining me on this episode is Dr. Jeremy Nicolarson, an adult congenital heart disease specialist who practices in Spokane, Washington. Today, we are discussing congenital heart disease, what it is, how it's diagnosed, and advancements and treatments. Hello, Dr. Nicolarson. It's good to speak with you today. Hey, John. It's good to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Hey, before we get started, I was hoping maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do. Sure. I'm an adult congenital cardiologist, which means I specialize in adults who were born with heart defects. And this is a growing population of patients who really need specialized care. And there's a group of cardiologists who go on for specific training in this area. And many of them come out of uh, pediatric cardiology or general adult cardiology background and then do their general fellowships in those areas and then further subspecialty training in adult congenital heart disease. So we don't usually hear the term congenital very often. Can you tell me what congenital heart disease is and how common it is? Sure. Congenital heart disease is a condition in which a person is born with a problem with the heart. That could be a hole in the heart. That could be a problem with a heart valve. That might be an abnormal blood vessel or a combination of those problems. And these birth defects are quite common. About one in 100 babies are born with a heart defect. And it's actually the most common type of birth defect. And having a heart defect at birth might be something that's quite benign or mild and in a way repairs itself on its own, like a hole in the wall between the bottom chambers, which is called a ventricular septal defect. And a small VSD might close on its own, or a birth defect of the heart could be one that is quite severe and leads to death within the first hours or days of life, or sometimes even in utero death. Some babies with very severe heart defects, some fetuses, don't survive to birth. And there's clearly a spectrum of heart defects. And we take care of people, either children, teenagers, or adults who were born with these heart defects who have very mild disease and some who have quite severe disease. And so I'm a cardiologist who specifically is trained in pediatric and adult cardiology as well as adult congenital heart disease. So I see page, patients of all ages, babies all the way up to folks in their 70s, 80s, or 90s. That's fascinating. So lots of different types and, and also a spectrum, like you said, of, of severity as well. Um, what do we know about the causes of congenital heart disease? I mean, do we just think about this with as a genetic thing, or are we talking about some risk factors during pregnancy as well? That's a great question, John. Birth defects sometimes can happen completely without any warning. There might be an abnormal gene mutation uh, that we might call an, a de novo mutation, meaning it sort of shows up out of the blue, and it, it's a problem with the DNA and a person's uh, genetic makeup that then is associated with a heart defect. Or there may be some condition that was going on in the pregnancy uh, that may have some impact on the development of the heart, whether that's a medication the pregnant mother might take 
or even condition that she or the uh, the baby's father might have a genetic syndrome for example that is a group of abnormal birth defects could could be passed on from one generation into another and then there's times that we just don't really know at all why someone is born with a heart defect but they happen for different reasons i know that i i see a lot of patients that talk about that they were born with a murmur or somebody heard a murmur but now we can actually diagnose it you know other than a murmur as well, and, and sometimes even much earlier. Can you speak to that? Yeah, of course. You know, I mentioned that we know about heart defects in fetuses, and the way that that is typically identified is with an ultrasound of a pregnant mother. Those are done very commonly throughout a pregnancy, and there's usually by about weeks 18 to 22 or 24 of a pregnancy where we can get really good pictures of the heart with a general maternal ultrasound, we might call it. And ultrasound technicians are, are focused on looking at all aspects of a, of a fetus's growth, but they additionally screen for um, obviously abnormal heart defects. So a baby who may only have one main pumping chamber in the heart instead of two ventricles, or a baby who has abnormal uh, connection of, of blood vessels leaving the heart. And so general ultrasounds of pregnant mothers are looking for common severe heart conditions and if there's any question that there might be one present, or perhaps it's a pregnant mother with a heart defect herself, a fetal echocardiogram might be done. And that's done by cardiac sonographers who have a specialty in congenital heart disease. And they're specifically doing an ultrasound of the baby's heart. And that can be a really helpful tool at identifying complex heart defects before a fetus is born. And that allows cardiologists to counsel parents make arrangements for the delivery and the, the nature of how a baby is going to be delivered, and then also be ready to treat a, a serious heart condition if one is present. So for example, if you've got a mother who's pregnant and lives in a rural area and she's going to be de delivering a, a baby with a very heart, uh, abnormal heart defect, we might arrange for that mother to deliver at a tertiary care center like we have here at Sacred Heart Medical Center and Children's Hospital where we have the teams necessary to provide immediate care to a baby born with a heart defect. Not only do we do fetal echocardiography, but nowadays when all babies are born in the state of Washington and in most states in the US, we're screening for congenital heart defects by sampling the oxygen level in babies' um, arms and legs and looking for any abnormal oxygen saturations that might be associated with a congenital heart defect that was missed on maternal ultrasound or fetal echocardiography. And so our ability to diagnose congenital heart defects has markedly transformed our readiness for this condition. And I bet that if I were 60 and I trained in pediatric cardiology way back before ultrasound and fetal echo, I would see a whole lot more babies being born with severe heart defects or coming in very sick. Nowadays, young trainees in cardiology typically know what they're going to get. In most cases, a baby is born with, um, you know, a, a known heart defect if it's coming, but there still are a fair number of babies who don't get their maternal ultrasounds or they don't get fetal echoes, or perhaps they were missed on those tests. And that's why that newborn screening, as we call it, the oxygen level monitoring is really important.
That's fantastic. So, uh, you know, the upfront diagnosis with ultrasound kind of allows you guys to prepare with your teams and stuff like that. And and you alluded that not everybody gets those ultrasounds, though. So what kind of symptoms should be people be looking for in children and babies that might alert them that the, the baby might have a congenital heart disease? Well, John, babies who have serious heart defects uh, typically don't grow well. It's one of the first things we notice. Uh, they may struggle uh, nursing or, or, or feeding from a bottle. Uh, they may have fast breathing um, associated with that feeding. For babies, eating is exercise. They're, they're, that is their stress test, if you will. And so if they're not tolerating eating, they're generally not growing well. They're um, struggling to just get the calories they need. And then some heart defects are associated with what we call heart failure or maybe high output heart failure where they need more calories to grow and they're not taking in enough breast milk or, or formula to grow, then their, their weight will start to trail off. So a drop in um, a baby's growth or a drop off the growth chart, as one might call it, um, associated with fast breathing would be certainly a concern for a heart condition. And then some babies are born with cyanotic heart defects, meaning that they were born with a condition that leads to low oxygen levels in their body. And they might even be blue. Their skin may have a bluish hue to it or their lips and tongue may be obviously blue or purple. And cyanotic heart defects are really a problem. And some of them can be associated with early uh, neonatal or early you know, newborn death. And so it's important that we look not only for poor growth or fast breathing, but also for color changes or things like that. And honestly, you mentioned earlier a murmur. Murmurs are pretty common and even babies with normal hearts can have a murmur. So if your pediatrician says your baby's got a murmur, don't worry. Uh, it needs to potentially be evaluated by a cardiologist. But if there is a really serious heart defect, the murmur is usually present and it's usually associated with the things I already mentioned, poor growth, fast breathing, abnormal color. You mentioned that sometimes um, some of these these congenital heart defects will um, correct themselves as the babies grow and stuff like that. Um, uh, could you speak a little bit to that? And and are you do we follow these patients you know lifelong for uh, throughout their lives? Yeah. So I mentioned a hole in the wall between the bottom chambers called the ventricular septal defect, and some argue that that's the most common heart defect, I'd say it's the second most common to a bicuspid aortic valve. But a VSD, if it's small, often will close as a baby's heart is growing during childhood. And a murmur may be present at birth that then goes away within the first several weeks or months or years. And patients who had a VSD that was diagnosed with an echocardiogram and a patient saw a cardiologist and that VSD clearly closed, those patients in a way could probably be discharged from heart care and not need lifelong follow-up. The same thing might go if there was a baby with an atrial septal defect, a hole in the wall between the top two chambers, or an ASD for short. An ASD that closes in childhood also probably does not require lifelong care. But if you were a baby who had a surgery or a heart catheterization to close one of those holes, you would be someone who would need lifelong care. Babies who have had surgery can have scar on the heart and that may be increased, increasing their risk of developing an arrhythmia throughout life or abnormal heart rhythm. There's no cure really for congenital heart disease. And that's really a misnomer that has been um, pushed forward for decades. These babies who have had a 
repair or some surgery or intervention on a heart still need lifelong care. And, um, and so a big part of my patient panel are, are kids, well, they're now adults, but they were adults who had heart defect as kids. They were diagnosed in, in either as a baby or in childhood. They may have had an intervention or surgery. They're going to need lifelong care by a specialized cardiologist. If it's someone who had a very simple defect that closed on its own, they probably could be discharged from care. And then there's a whole other subset of patients who are diagnosed in adulthood. They made it through all of their childhood and they come into care for any number of reasons. It might be a murmur that finally gets evaluated with an echocardiogram. It might be a pregnancy. We see a lot of pregnant women who get diagnosed during their pregnancy with a heart defect. It might be someone who is going in for evaluation prior to um, sports or work or some additional uh, medical problem leads to an echocardiogram being performed and they are diagnosed with a heart defect. And so there's a whole spectrum of timing for when these heart defects come to light. Obviously, I mentioned sometimes it as a fetus and then sometimes not until adulthood. And I got to tell you, I have a couple of patients who I see who are in their 70s and they were diagnosed with a heart defect at that age. So it's really quite remarkable how much of a variety there are of all of these conditions and when they show up. That's amazing. You, uh, you know, you mentioned that you, we even have older patients now that have congenital heart disease. Uh, but I have to say, you know, when I was in training, we really thought of this as mainly a pediatric sort of population. But now we have, uh, I mean, speaking to your your specialty, you're an adult congenital heart disease specialist. And so we're seeing a lot more adults with this. Um, why, why do you think that is? Well, we're getting better at identifying it, as I mentioned, both with fetal echocardiography and newborn screening, uh, but we're also getting better at treating it. So congenital heart disease surgery and intervention really has a, about a hundred year long history. So back in the thirties, we started doing the first congenital heart repairs. And these were simple repairs done um, on the aorta, usually for things like aortic coarctation or patent ductus arteriosus. They were done with beating hearts, generally through a surgery through the back called the thoracotomy. In the 40s, we started doing some exploration of management of babies with cyanotic heart defects. So in 1954 was the first surgery on a patient with tetralogy of Fallot, which is a heart defect that would have led to death during childhood. And that there was a, a, a pediatric cardiologist, a surgeon, and his assistant who all created a way to let these babies survive longer. Um, and then in the 50s, we started doing open heart surgeries, first on beating hearts, and then using heart um, lung bypass machines. And it really since the 50s, we've started to refine those surgical techniques to treat all sorts of heart defects. And in the 1980s or so, they started doing neonatal complex heart surgeries. So babies born with complex defects getting complete repairs as babies. And there's been multiple iterations and improvements on all of these different surgeries for all of these different heart defects. And so the surgical outcomes have markedly improved. Not to mention as a field, congenital cardiology has refined its techniques and ability to treat these patients after surgery and to identify when problems arise and many times they do. And so cardiologists, nurses, advanced practice providers, surgeons, all these people have teamed up to improve the care in congenital heart disease. And now, in fact, John, we have more adults living with congenital heart disease than kids. And in the US alone, we estimate that the number of adults with CHD is nearing 2 million. And in fact, might even be higher than that. 
it's hard to capture all those patients and many of them are out of care, but we believe that this is a growing um, uh, population of patients in the cardiovascular world because of the successes of prior decades and the efforts and interests in improving the care of these patients now in clinical care, in research and in advocacy as well. That's remarkable. With, with so many of these patients now surviving to adulthood, are there are there uh, you know other patterns of diseases that we start seeing with uh, a lot of these patients as they enter adulthood? Yeah, certainly. So um, you know, an adult congenital heart patient may have some residual problems from their underlying heart defect. Let's say they had a valve replaced when they were a child. Well, if it was a valve from a cow or a pig or a cadaver, that valve will fail and need to be replaced again in one's 20s or 30s or sometimes later. Or there might have been um, a valve problem that was repaired very well without a prosthetic valve, but there's still scar in the heart and arrhythmias might develop. And so these adult patients can develop residual problems that could be in the realm of valvular heart disease, arrhythmia, heart failure, or heart dysfunction, or any number of areas that are related to their specific heart defect. But in addition, um, some of these patients develop comorbidities um, that are associated with their heart condition. So I take care of a fair number of patients who were born with one functioning ventricle. We call this single functional ventricle physiology. And these patients go on to have a ser series of surgeries that end in one called the Fontan surgery. And Fontan patients develop cirrhosis of their liver in a really interesting and, and complicated way that didn't exist before the Fontan surgery. So we have created a disease in the treatment of a congenital heart defect. And that new disease is, is challenging all of us, both in the cardiology world and in the hepatology or liver disease world. And we're teaming up to try to understand how to treat this new condition that didn't exist before Francois Fontan did his first surgery in 1971. And one thing that I will definitely touch on is that patients with congenital heart disease might also develop acquired heart disease so that they survive into adulthood and now develop coronary heart disease or arrhythmias like atrial fibrillation, which are common in people even with normal structural hearts. And patients with congenital heart disease need very clear counseling, sometimes even to a greater degree than their peers without heart defects, about prevention of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease or some of the acquired heart diseases that might develop. And I spend a lot of time talking to my patients about activity and weight control and prevention of diabetes and high cholesterol and all these things that are really important for everyone, but I believe especially important for congenital heart patients. So if, if, there, if someone knows a, uh, someone who had congenital heart disease um, and they're now surviving in adu adulthood, what kind of symptoms should they be watching for that might suggest that one of these other you know, comorbidities, as you put it, um, are developing now? So I mentioned valve dysfunction, arrhythmia, heart failure. Those are probably the three most common, not in any order, but three most common uh, problems that can develop in an adult who survived a heart defect. And they all often present with the same symptoms. So shortness of breath is really common and it's kind of nonspecific. A lot of conditions can cause that, but shortness of breath with exertion, uh, particularly if it's associated with inability to exercise or perform activities that once were easier, 
um, especially if there's no other obvious cause. Um, arrhythmias might develop, might present with something called palpitations where a person notices their heart beating abnormally. It might be beating fast or irregularly, or they may feel like they have skipped heartbeats. Um, and then heart failure, as you know, John, and other cardiologists manage heart failure. Um, patients develop swelling in the legs. They may develop weight gain rapidly. So they're, they're kind of retaining water. They may have difficulty lying down flat. They get short of breath on their back or have difficulty with just routine activities of, of daily living. And if you have a combination of those symptoms and there's no other obvious cause, then I certainly would say if you've got a heart defect, you need to be checked out. That could be a sign that there's a problem with your prior surgery. And that's really another key message. You're never really cured from heart disease. If you had a surgery or an intervention, we used to say you were cured, but that's really not the case because these residual problems can come up in adulthood. And it's important that if you have had a heart surgery or intervention as a child, you're on alert for these symptoms. And if they develop, talk to your doctor, see if you can get a referral to an adult congenital cardiologist who has expertise in managing patients with your heart condition. Yeah, I, I tell a lot of my patients, that's why it's so important that they remain active because when you're active, you know what your functional capacity is, you know what your body can do. And when you start noticing a change, that's a sign that something may be going wrong. If all you're being doing is being sedentary, you don't always get those early signs, you know, uh, until it's too late sometimes. So you're exactly right. So are you telling me then that that patients with congenital heart disease can can generally lead normal lives after their heart defect is is fixed as a child for the most part? Absolutely. And in fact, I encourage them to live their lives as if the heart defect doesn't define them. You know, we used to uh, coddle these kids. I mean, historically, you hear about parents and doctors taking care of a child with a heart problem. As, as if, you know, any exercise or any activity would just be a huge issue and they could have a heart attack or any number of, uh, of phrases have been used that scare patients and their parents about being active. And that is the opposite message we want to give. Now, certainly there are some heart defects that are, that are uh, associated with problems with exercise, and we have to be careful and make sure you understand what you can and can't do. But I want my patients with congenital heart defects to lead normal lives to seek out relationships and employment and activities and hobbies that will keep them fulfilled and not to let this heart defect define them. And so it's really important that you're coming in for regular care, that we keep an eye on your heart and you know that everything is going well and you understand what you can and can't do, but you should live a normal life um, in most cases. Now, there are some heart defects that are associated with a lot of symptoms, and some patients feel like their quality of life is quite poor, but that's a rarity. Most patients who had either one or two isolated heart defects that were repaired successfully will lead pretty normal lives. And we're still learning a lot about outcomes in congenital heart disease. And so um, if things have gone well and you've got a relatively simple heart defect, you should live a normal life and, and life length. Um, if you've got a very complex heart defect and or you've had problems developed from that, um, that changes things a little bit. And we talk a lot about prognosis and what does the rest of my life look like? How can I be the healthiest person I can be? And what should I expect uh, in the coming years? How do I plan my family and my future? And so that's why it's really important that a patient with a heart defect is seeing a specialized adult congenital heart expert who understands that 
prognosis, understands the outcomes and the nuances from one heart defect to the next that can really guide a patient in their life's journey. It's so important. And, and I'm glad that you're counseling people on trying to live normal lives. And you mentioned a lot of activities that you want them to engage in. How about um, for women, how about the ability to um, uh, carry a pregnancy and, and uh, you know, impacts on birth control? How do you counsel your, your female patients that way? One of my favorite conversations, John, is when I meet a woman who wants to start a family who was told she could not. And I, and I tell her, nope, actually you can. With careful monitoring by our program and a high-risk OB doc and support from your family and friends and local OB, generally we can get patients with even very complex heart defects through a pregnancy. And there are some conditions where pregnancy is ill-advised, but even some of those single functional ventricle patients who have had a Fontan surgery I've mentioned can get pregnant. In fact, we're right now in, in a clinical uh, registry tracking patients who have Fontans who have become pregnant and looking at their outcomes. And here in Spokane, we've had several pregnant Fontan patients go through pregnancies just fine. I mean, clearly they need a lot of close monitoring and every Fontan patient doesn't necessarily um, have the green light to get pregnant. But I love being able to reassure women with congenital heart disease and letting them know that in fact, they can start a family. Now we think about the woman's health and how she'll get through a pregnancy, but we also have to think about the possibility of passing on that heart defect. So about one in 100 babies are born with the heart defect I mentioned, but that might be a higher ratio if a woman has a, a genetic syndrome that's associated with a high likelihood to pass that defect down. Um, or there may be two parents, believe it or not, who each have heart defects who um, want to have a baby. Well, that baby's chance of having a heart defect might be even higher. I know a number of my patients that have congenital heart disease um, require devices like pacemakers and defibrillators. How common is that to treat um, you know, congenital heart disease complications? Well, you're right. A lot of patients who have congenital heart defects may also have rhythm disturbances, either too slow of a heart rate, too fast of a heart rate. Maybe they've had a sudden cardiac arrest and needed a defibrillator, or they're at risk of having a sudden cardiac arrest, and we put in a defibrillator to prevent um, an arrhythmic death. But uh, pacemakers and defibrillators are, are pretty common. And a lot of our patients have had one or multiple surgeries that um, develop some scar on the heart, and that is associated with conduction or electrical problems. Uh, or perhaps the surgery itself results in something called heart block, where the top and bottom chambers are electrically disconnected, and a pacemaker has, has to be placed. And so it is fairly common. And it also becomes a challenge sometimes for us when we have patients who need another operation and we've got a lot of uh, hardware, as you might call it, in their bodies, or who maybe they need an MRI of their heart and they've got a defibrillator or a pacemaker that makes that challenging or even leads that sit on the heart because the anatomy of the heart was abnormal and we couldn't put the leads inside the heart. So there's a lot of conditions in which uh, patients have a pacemaker or a defibrillator and it, it complicates our management a little bit. Um, I work in a team full of specialists who each have a different role. I work with two electrophysiologists and two structural interventional cardiologists and other people like me who read echo and we have people who read imaging like cardiac MRI and CT scan. And, and adult congenital heart care really needs to be team-based care at a specialized ACHD program. And so I'm not putting in your pacemaker, but I know someone who can, who understands your heart defect. 
you know, we've heard so much about the, you know, the team practice of, of cardiology now and how the patients really benefit from having, you know, many specialists all working in conjunction with each other, communicating frequently. And uh, it's, it's just remarkable. So, you know, com pacemakers and defibrillators are technology we've had for a long time. I've also heard about some programs that are using 3D printing and heart modeling as well. Um, I was wondering if you, you could speak to that, you know, what that's about. And are there other technologies that help doctors and surgeons care for the patients with congenital heart disease? This is the future, John. We rely on technology to help improve our care. And 3D printing has been going on for a while now. It's actually not the newest way of treating congenital heart patients, but essentially that involves using a CT scan, usually sometimes an MRI, but usually a CT scan and software and personnel that can form a three-dimensional, um, often 3D printed heart, either in a hard plastic or a soft malleable plastic. Um, and that allows our surgeons and our structural interventional cardiologists to physically hold the heart, look at it from different angles, make a plan for an intervention or surgery that's coming up, even actually put catheters into the different holes in the heart to try to figure out what size catheter should I use, what size of device is going to go into this spot, because sometimes it's really hard just from the imaging alone to, to make a plan that you can rely on. We don't want to go into an operation without a plan or to go into a heart cath without knowing what we're going to do. And that 3D structure can be really valuable for very complex hearts. Nowadays, there's even an interest in virtual exploration of hearts. So using that same CT or CAT scan and um, using virtual software so that surgeons and interventional cardiologists and electrophysiologists can put on a virtual or VR headset and actually physically move around in the heart with their hands in space. And there's a whole host of uh, new technologies out there that are helping us prepare for these very complex surgeries. And it's actually really great to be a part of that right now. It's so exciting. And, and you know, the technology just keeps, just keeps moving forward in leaps and bounds. And it's so exciting to be part of the field. So um, did COVID-19 present any special challenges for your patients with congenital heart disease? Absolutely. I mean, like it did with everyone, but patients with congenital heart disease are at a slightly higher risk of having complications from COVID-19. Not all, but some of our patients have a much greater risk than others. Um, our group was part of an international registry of COVID-19 and ACHD, and this registry uh, started collecting data in the early parts of COVID. And I'm actually looking right now at, at a um, paper on our wall that includes a list of all the different heart defects and the likelihood of having severe complications or death with congenital heart disease. And so not only does COVID increase risk of complications in, in some of our patients with complex disease, um, but it also has impacted their recovery from COVID. So I have, I mean, nowadays almost everyone's had COVID at some point um, and our congenital heart patients might struggle a little bit longer. They might develop some of the longer symptoms after COVID and their congenital heart disease can in a way complicate their recovery. Um, uh, the other part of COVID and congenital heart disease care is that, you know, vaccination, unfortunately, for a lot of my patients is still intimidating and scary. They say, I've got a heart problem. Why should I be getting this vaccine that's only been developed very recently? And I always counter that by saying, look, it's because you have a heart problem. You're at a higher risk of having a problem from COVID. Let's get the vaccine to protect you in the best way possible. 
And John, you hear this too, invariably, everyone says, oh, I heard about myocarditis with this vaccine. But you and I both know that it's actually eight times more likely to get myocarditis from COVID infection than it is from the vaccine. And so unfortunately, because of the polarization of how vaccines have been perceived in our country, um, a lot of my patients still come unvaccinated to the clinic and we have this conversation every day. So if you are a congenital heart patient, please get vaccinated against COVID-19 and influenza. Um, this winter is a bit intimidating. I think there's going to be a lot of flu and COVID and we're seeing a lot of RSV in young children and even adults now. And, and I'm going to say, unless you're allergic to the vaccine or its, or its ingredients, please get a vaccine no matter who you are. <laughs> so, exactly. You're right. Because you're right. Each other. The, the odds are in your favor. If you understand statistics, you know that you get you have much better odds getting the vaccine than not getting the vaccine. So, uh, well, thanks for speaking to that, too. Hey, you know, I you have got to be proud of the program that you've started there. You know, with with your patch program in Spokane, Providence now has a nationally recognized adult congenital heart disease program. Can you t can you speak a little bit about how that came to be? Absolutely. So I mentioned that we're a team, right? We are absolutely a team and we rely on each other to succeed and to improve the care of our patients. So I wouldn't be in, in my shoes right now were it not for the people who preceded me. And so my mentor um, essentially was one of the first cardiologists doing congenital heart care in this area. And for decades, he and his partner went out and shook hands and met people in the community and in the region and said, hey, we're here to support your patients with congenital heart disease. So a pediatric cardiology clinic grew up in Spokane and in Eastern Washington and parts of Idaho and Montana. And then they started to say, well, we're getting great outcomes. These kids are surviving to adult, adults and we need to help care for them. And so they started to learn a, bit, a little bit more about adult congenital heart disease. And this was around the time that, that the world was learning more about ACHD needs and training pathways were developing. And people like me, had an opportunity to grow into a field where there's actually specific training just for adult congenital heart disease. And so in 2016, I moved out to Spokane and, and uh, basically just took the reins from my mentor and his team and helped organize our program. And it was coming at a time when the adult congenital heart world was starting to recognize how we can standardize and improve care. And so I had a bit of a framework, both in my own personal training and experience, but also in the guidance from these national governing bodies to help organize our program and essentially uh, become a comprehensive center. And that's what Patch is, is that we're a nationally recognized comprehensive care center for adults with congenital heart disease. And it's truly a team. It's a team that's built on the successes of our predecessors and we wouldn't be where we are without everyone chipping in and helping. And I want to brag a little bit, too, that not only is it a team in your local ministry there as well, it's a team like that I'm invited to as well. You know, I, um, I, uh, general cardiologists are invited to, to attend teleconferences that you guys put on regularly where you, you review cases, um, patients that are referred to you, you. You often are willing to see them through, you know, a, a, um, a televisit sometimes as well if they're living in, in a remote uh, area and that sort of thing. And so it, it's it's phenomenal and, and you guys uh, should be really proud. And, and it's been an incredible service to my patients as well uh, on the other side of the state, frankly, from you guys. So um, 
Well, is there anything else about today's topic that you want to make sure our listeners know that we haven't already discussed at all, Dr. Nick Larson? Sure. We've touched a little bit on how important it is to stay in care, and I can't stress that enough. If you're a patient who was born with a heart defect, even if you never had a surgery or intervention, but you had a heart defect or you you think that it still might be there, you should get back into care and see an adult congenital cardiologist. You know, sadly, only 10% of ACHD patients are getting specialized ACHD care in our country. And I've looked at the numbers in our region, and we follow about 2,000 patients in eastern Washington, south central Washington, the panhandle of Idaho, parts of Montana, and, and even Oregon. And we're just skimming the surface. Those 2,000 patients are probably part of another 10 to 15,000 in that region who are not getting that care. And they may be seeing general cardiologists who are excellent and providing really good care. But the key we have found in our field is that it really needs to be expertise and team-driven specialized care. It really should be coming from these comprehensive care centers. And often I'll share patients. So you don't have to leave your cardiologist and we're not going to take over your care entirely. I'll share a patient uh, with that cardiologist and make sure that the, the adult congenital heart guidelines are being implemented and that patients are getting the best care that they can. And so if you are a patient who thinks you should be seeing someone like me, please reach out, uh, talk to your own, your own doctors, even your primary care providers, or if you aren't seeing a doctor at all, even more importantly, you get in to, to uh, touch base with us. And then there's an association called the Adult Congenital Heart Association or ACHA. And ACHA is a national organization that was founded by patients with CHD in the late 90s. And it has grown into this unbelievable company, uh, this program that essentially provides guidance for patients who have CHD, guidance for cardiologists and providers in our field, advocacy on Capitol Hill to raise awareness and funds to support research in adult congenital heart disease. They truly have been a unifying organization that has supported our patients in really, really meaningful ways. And so I encourage you to check it out. Go to achaheart.org on any uh, computer or your phone even, and check out their website, achaheart.org. On that website, you'll find a clinic directory. So if you are listening to this podcast and you would like to see a cardiologist who has expertise in ACHD patients, check out that clinic directory. It has the contact information for our program and all the other programs in the country. And you get a feel for how important it is that you identify with those cardiologists. And I get patients who find us through ACHA um, or cardiologists who search on, on, um, on Google and say congenital heart disease, and it shows up to ACHA. So we hear about it through that organization. So please check them out. You'll, um, you'll find a lot of support there and people just like you. Thank you so much, Dr. Nick Larson. Uh, you've been a wonderful guest. Thanks, John. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for joining us today on this important topic on Heart Matters. We look forward to continuing the important conversation on heart health and wellness with more experts from Providence in future episodes. Make sure you listen to all of our shows on Dash Radio under Future of Health Radio or your favorite podcast platform and follow us on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and on Instagram under Providence Health Systems. 
To learn more about our missions, programs, and services, go to Providence.org. And for more information on Boston Scientific, visit bostonscientific.com. And please remember, the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult your healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Thanks for listening. And remember, at Providence, we see the life in you. Thank you.